to be back today at New Life here in Canton, Georgia. I am always honored to return, and uh, it's probably, I don't know, six, maybe seven years ago that I appeared here for the first time. It was six years ago, and uh, I fell in love with you guys. I, I love Pastor Clint and Amy and their children. It's so good to have them now at Gateway, and if I can, I want to extend to you greetings from them. Uh, I texted him earlier this morning to say, hey, I'm about to get up and preach twice at New Life, and uh, so he wanted me to be sure and just send his love, and uh, you know, I'm equally excited about your future. I really believe what you just prophesied, Pastor Allen, which is your best days are ahead. I believe Pastor Clint and his family served wonderfully here and led well, and God called them and transitioned them to a new assignment. They're doing so well. They've settled in. Bethany and I had the opportunity to take Clint and Amy to dinner just uh, within the last month, and we had a wonderful dinner catching up with them, and they're perfectly placed by God. So if you've been curious or you're wondering, they're very happy. They're doing really, really well, and uh, in, in uh, the, the, the next season, God has so been kind to you by placing Pastor Allen and Kathy and their wonderful family right here to give you leadership. And again, we've already honored them, but Pastor Allen, I want you to know you truly are one of my favorite pastors in all the country. And, uh, and I really love and respect you. Uh, as I met with the staff yesterday, one of the things that surfaced that they really love about Pastor Allen is how passionate he is for his God. And it is contagious, and I've gotten a little on me. So thank you, and I'm grateful to be here this weekend. Hey, if you have your Bible, do this for me. Would you turn to two passages? I have quite a bit to say this morning. And uh, so we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. You can turn there and put a marker at Acts chapter 2. So Luke 5 and Acts 2. And again, while you're flipping there, let me bring you greetings from one other uh, leader back uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and that's Pastor Robert Morris, as well as the leadership team at Gateway. I want you to know we love being in relationship with your church. Uh, we're so grateful for the connection that God made several years ago under your previous pastor. Now, here's what I'd like to do today in the time that I have. And by the way, if you're curious, I'm a teacher, not a preacher. So I want to set expectation, but I have some very practical, helpful uh, uh, ministry that I want to offer to you today. So I want you to be uh, open to what God might want to say to you. What I'd like to do is talk to you about the key to your continued health and growth as a church. And when you come from one of the largest churches in America, I, I want to offer a balance statement uh, right here as I begin. And, and here's what I would say is I would never suggest that bigger is better, only that healthy is better. So health is the goal of the teaching today. Health is the, the goal, the, the, the target for all that I, I'm going to be sharing with you. But what we have to see is that numerical growth often is the byproduct of health. So uh, the principle is this, healthy things grow. We know it to be true in our families. I have two grown sons that I once carried in my arms. And they grew up. And when I say goodbye to them now, I reach up to hug them, not down to hug them. Why? Because healthy things grow. It's not only true for babies, it's true for businesses. If you're a business owner and you have a business plan and you execute that plan, your business is going to flourish. It's going to grow. It's going to increase. Uh, and the same principle applies to a healthy church. 
healthy things grow. So I want to ask a few questions as I kickstart the message here. The first is what I call a good question. So let me ask that now. And that is, do you want your church to grow? Do you, as a member of this church, want your church to grow? Now, while it's a good question, it is the least important of the three questions I want to ask. Here's the second question. Does your pastor want your church to grow? Now, can I tell you, that's a more important question. And yet, it, while it's more important, it's not the most important. Here's the most important question. Does God want your church to grow? Not only is that the only important question, it's a little bit of a trap question. Because no matter what we want or even what your pastor wants. And by the way, if you're curious, he wants growth for all the right reasons. He wants to see people in this community connect with Jesus. And because there are people in the community who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I can tell you the answer to the third and the only important question. God wants your church to grow. God wants you to reach men and women. He wants you to reach boys and girls, married and single adults. He wants you to reach blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, fill in the race. God wants you to reach all people the young and the old, the rich and the poor. He wants you to reach the educated as well as the uneducated, the athletic and the intellectual, the introvert, the extrovert. I know we just had an election this week, and can I tell you something? He wants you to re reach Republicans, Democrats, independents, all people. Now, I haven't covered every category of people, but I've made my point. God wants you to grow. He wants you to reach people and introduce them to his wonderful son, Jesus. And here's why. Every person, both here at the church and outside the church, has a destiny. Every person will spend eternity either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God. And because of that most important reason, God wants your church to grow. Now, with that established, look with me at our primary text for today, Luke chapter 5. And I'm just going to walk through the first seven verses. And, and truly, this is a familiar story. So join with me, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. Jesus was standing on the shore of a lake. It was actually the Sea of Galilee. And he noticed two boats that were tied up. The fishermen had just left the boats and were out mending or repairing their nets. Jesus climbed into one of the boats and he asked Simon, who, by the way, owned the boat, to put the boat out a little from the shore. And sitting there in the boat, Jesus taught the crowd. How many of you would have enjoyed being there? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? So sometimes when I read the Bible, one of the best things I can do is just picture myself in the crowd where Jesus is ministering. So here Jesus is teaching from a boat to people who were on the shore. And when he finished teaching, he said to Simon, now, now that I've taught you, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Jesus didn't go fishing. Listen to me. Jesus went catching. And so uh, Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and we haven't even caught 
a minnow. The truth is they had just returned from fishing. They were unsuccessful. They were parking their boats, repairing their nets. And Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. I want you to give this a shot one more time. And listen, it says, uh, but because you say so. So Simon, uh, although he had had uh, no success, he obeyed the Lord. Can I tell you something? Obedience brings the blessing of God. And so he says, uh, because you say so, I'll let out the nets. No sooner said than done. A huge haul of fish straining the nets beyond capacity. The disciples waved to their partners in the other boat. If you recall, when we began, there were two boats that were docked. Jesus got in one and he taught from that boat. Then they went out in that boat and it was being uh, um, overwhelmed with the catch. So they waved to the other boat. It joined them and it says uh, they filled both boats, nearly sinking them with the catch. That was a good day if you enjoy fishing. So to summarize what we just read in this very familiar passage, on their own, the disciples were completely ineffective. Does that sound like anyone you know? And then it says, when Jesus got in their boat, they were remarkably effective. They caught tons of fish, but they had a problem. And the problem was this, their nets began to break and their boat, boats, plural, almost uh, went under water. Now, look with me at one other verse. Glance down at verse 10 here in Luke chapter 5. And I believe this verse helps explain the story. Jesus told his disciples here, soon you'll be fishing for people. Do you think they had confidence that they might be successful reaching people after what they had just experienced with his guidance? I do. And I believe this is the assignment of every healthy church to fish, to effectively reach more people. So for today, I believe this passage could describe a church that grows but can't retain everyone it has reached because it's simply not prepared for growth. This might be a more common problem uh, than you're aware of. And let me give you a statistics. I'll just be a church nerd for a moment and give you some, some stats. 90% of the 350,000 mainline evangelical churches in our country are either stagnant or in decline. They're not growing, they're reducing over time. And so it's important that we not become one of those churches. So I want you to listen one more time, and I'm going to take this exact same text, and I'm going to paraphrase it uh, and make a specific application for today. So here's how that'll work. Think of this. When I say lake, or when, I, when, when you see lake in your Bible, I want you to think about the community in which God's placed you, right here in Canton, in this greater region. Uh, when I talk about boats, when I reference boats, I want you to think of the churches in your community. The fishermen are the church leaders. The fish are the people. And the nets are the systems, the processes, the ministries in place within a church to reach and retain the people. It'll make sense as you listen. So as if hearing this story for the first time, uh, listen closely. Jesus approached a community and noticed two churches that were ineffective in their ability to reach and retain people. The churches were discussing, the church leaders were discussing how they might improve their assimilation system so that they could retain their guests. 
Jesus entered one of those churches. Can we just suggest that would be a really good thing for Jesus to show up at your church? And so it says, and he asked Simon, we'll say he was the senior pastor, to prepare a place for him to speak. And sitting among those gathered there, Jesus began to teach. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, now, now that I've instructed you, now that you've been taught what to do, now go out into the community, the deep water, and invite people to come to church. It's time, boys, to go fishing. So uh, Simon replied, Master, we've been trying to attract new people for quite some time with little or no success, but since you say so, I'll try again. Aren't you glad that we have the choice to obey the Lord? Now, I referenced it earlier, and I'll say it again. Obedience brings God's blessing. So he obeyed Jesus, and suddenly the church experienced dynamic growth. As a result, the church's assimilation system, the ministries within the church were overwhelmed, strained beyond capacity. The church leaders had to call on a church down the street to come and assist them in ministering to and retaining all the people they had reached. Would that not be a fun call to make? If Pastor Cody had to say, hey, we need to contact some of the area churches because what we're doing right now, we're reaching as many as we can, but there are so many people coming. We're going to have to share some of these people with the area churches. This would be a good thing. So it's, uh, let, me, let me close this. Um, so uh, both churches grew dramatically. They could have used a third church's help. Well, uh, in response to this paraphrased version of Luke chapter 5, here are a couple of questions for you. Is your church currently prepared to effectively minister to everyone that God might want to send your way? Are you prepared? Not do you desire to reach people, but are you prepared? And if not, why on earth would God send people to you if you're not prepared, if you're not ready to care for them? So let me lighten the mood. Here's a funny story. Several years ago, I returned from a trip much like this one, a full weekend. I got home on a Sunday night, and my wife had arranged for me to help my younger son, Levi, carry some heavy furniture upstairs. Now, get a glance of this. I'm 5'6", weigh about 142 pounds. I'm not a big, strong guy. But we attempted as best we could to move heavy furniture, a bedroom suit, upstairs. Well, can I tell you, together... Straining as much as we could, we made it from the bottom of the stairs uh, several steps up to what we would call the landing on the stairs. And there we realized something. What got us here won't get us there. There must be a better way. So we put the furniture down. We regrouped. We came up with a better strategy, which included another person to help us. We expanded our efforts by using wisdom. And, and rather than ending up at the bottom of the stairs under the heavy furniture, we were able with this new approach to, to go to that next level. Listen, in the same way, in the same way, if your church plateaus in its growth, you have reached the proverbial landing in the stairs. And it would be wise for you to catch your breath to get a better grip and to determine uh, one or the other. Do we want to continue to grow? Do we want to go up or 
down? Uh, are we okay to enter decline? And I beg you, be wise. Don't ever think this is good enough because there are more people that need to know the Lord. H have you ever received any uh, bad advice? I mean, like really bad advice. If you've lived long enough, you've probably had people, sometimes uninviting, uh, share uh, advice with you. I still remember the worst advice I ever received. It was written in my senior yearbook by one of my baseball buddies. And his, uh, his name, get this, his name was Spunky Ruble. Isn't that a great name? So Spunky wrote this in my yearbook. He said, Big Ed, which by the way was my nickname. Isn't that funny? So he says, Big Ed, you are awesome. Stay the same, never change. Can we just agree? That is terrible advice. Stay the same, never change. He was well-intentioned, and he liked me just the way I was. But how many of you know what was, what was cool in 1979 is not so trendy in 2016? I can assure you my wife, Bethany, would not want the 1979 version of Ed leading our family. Stay the same, never change. Now, you might say, that's a cute story. How on earth does that apply to the message and to our church? Well, thank you for asking. Here's what I would ask. Could it be that you're guilty of saying, Pastor Allen, our church is awesome. We truly want it to stay the same and never change. Oh, church, I encourage you to not think that way. That is a dangerous way to think. We must think bigger uh, so that more people can be brought into the church family here and come into relationship with Christ. We have to understand that the methods of ministry that help you grow to where you are today won't necessarily help you grow to where God wants to take you a year from today, two years, five years, even ten years down the road. In other words, uh, what got you here won't necessarily get you there. And God wants to take you to that next level. Uh, and so I want to encourage you in how that might uh, become your reality I'll just tell you, there is a challenge to healthy church growth. And here's the challenge. You have to answer this question. How can we most effectively connect guests and new members to our existing church family? How can we connect guests and new members to those of us who are already part of the New Life family? Well, uh, Barna Research tells us that from the first time a guest visits your church, you have five to seven weeks to connect them in relationship or, listen, or you will lose them. You have five to seven weeks. That's a very short period of time. And if you don't make a way, if you don't have a plan in place for connecting people, you'll join the 90% of churches I referenced in our country that have either stopped growing or, worse, enter decline. Now, there are certainly hindrances to this challenge. Let me share the foremost hindrance to this challenge for healthy church growth. Most people are resistant to accountable relationships. So what do I mean by that? People may say they want friendship, but they often run when others question their bad choices and their poor decisions. And so allow me to meddle. I have to ask you, do you have someone in your life other than your spouse who has permission to point out 
your blind spots, who, who has uh, uh, the ability to, 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 to listen to you share even the ugly stuff in your life? Do you have that type of relationships uh, in, your, in your life? Uh, sadly, too many people settle for what I call virtual relationships. So I'm just here uh, to make you aware of some bad news. Not everyone who likes you on Facebook is your friend. I'm just telling you the truth. See, a true friend will lovingly challenge you and tell you the truth even when it hurts, even when it's uncomfortable for you and for them. And so I have to ask, do you have that kind of friend in your life? Are you that kind of friend to others? I believe God's heart is broken by the number of people in our country who move from church to church to church. And they do so after they've been in the church for a little while and they notice imperfections in their pastor, in the staff, and in other members of the church. And when they see those problems, they bolt and they try again, looking for the perfect church, which we all know does not exist. And even if they found a perfect church, if they join that church, suddenly it's imperfect because they themselves are imperfect. Well, aren't I Mr. Encouragement all the way from Texas today? There is a solution to this challenge of healthy church growth. The church must offer a place where people can develop strong and accountable friendships. People come to church for many reasons. Let me just give you a few, and they'll be obvious here at New Life. Great worship. Oh, my goodness. Pastor Dan and the team this morning, remarkable. The presence of the Lord with us. Great worship. And then there is great preaching. I'm telling you, even just this little uh, transition time, Pastor Allen has got some preach on him. Can we agree on that? Yeah, so you've got great worship. Yes. Great preaching. It could be that people come to your church for uh, excellent children's ministry with Pastor Amanda and the team there. Uh, and, and great student ministry with Pastor Russ or whatever. There are a number of reasons people come. It may be that people come to see that handsome guest speaker. You just never know why people may come to church. But listen, here's the truth. People stay in church for one reason. It's friendship. They come uh, to be in relationship with other people. Here's our reality is that all of us, if we're honest, all of us want to be loved. We want to be known for who we are. All of us desire authentic and genuine relationships. And, I, and I've got to tell you another bit of truth. You'll never find what I'm describing in a weekend service. Oh, thank you for the presence of God, for the teaching, the instruction, the, the, the insight that we gain by coming together. There's something so necessary about coming together on Sunday morning, but you're not going to grow intimate friendships in a building uh, this size. That will only take place in a small group. And so friendships are formed over time, and I believe the best place for that to take place is one, in one of your church's small groups. So here's a, a good thing to write down if you're someone to take notes. Small groups are the only net strong enough to catch and retain all of the people that God wants to send your way. 
Small groups are the only net that is strong enough to catch and retain all of the people that God wants to send your way. My wife, Bethany, and I lead a small group at Gateway. Now, uh, I'm just simply referencing a number to make a point. Gateway was 1,400 people when we joined the staff uh, 13 years ago. We were at one campus and we had five weekend services, so we were quite large even then. But today, it's six campuses, 35,000 people. Can I tell you, I would never choose to be part of a church that size if it wasn't for a small group. I am so thankful that I am known and loved by a small group of people. We are privileged uh, to lead that group, and we do so as members, not as pastors. It's not on my job description, but I choose to be in relationship with a handful of people who truly know me, the good and the bad, and I know them, the good and the bad. And listen, we love the people with whom we do life, with that, that smaller group of, of intimate friends. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus shares what I refer to as the 11th commandment. Now, if we look back at Exodus 20, we're familiar with the original, the 10 commandments. But here, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. And it's quite simple, love one another. And he goes further. He explains what he means. In the same way that I have loved you, so you should love one another. How does Jesus love us? Well, we heard earlier <laughs> completely. Uh, uh, he, he loves us sacrificially. He loves us unconditionally. In the same way, Jesus says, love others in the same way that I've loved you. In verse 35, John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, my followers, my family. When we begin, I ask you to put a marker at a second passage, Acts chapter 2. Flip there with me now. Acts 2, we're going to look at verses 42 to 47. And here we're going to see a biblical example of the original small group ministry. Here the Bible reads, the believers were like family to each other. They ate together and they prayed together. They met often together. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they gave money to whoever needed it. Listen, generosity will mark your life as a member of a healthy church. They broke bread together in different homes, and they shared their food happily and freely while praising God. This is more than a cookout. This is more than just a neighborhood barbecue. They're ministering to one another. Everyone like them. One of the things you'll notice in a healthy small group is that community, this level of relationship is both winsome and attractive. And there's an end result. There's a byproduct which leads us back to where we started. Each day the Lord added to their group others who were being saved. Listen to me, church. Healthy things grow. Now, as we move to close here in just a, a, a few minutes, there are a couple of benefits of these small groups that I want to uh, make you aware of, and I'll share two uh, for time's sake. First, small groups provide fellowship. They provide new friendships, and this may be the most important part. They provide other viewpoints. Are you aware there are viewpoints other than your own, and it could be helpful for you to hear those? 
and they provide immediate pastoral care. Here's, here's my point. God never intended for pastors, staff members to do all of the ministry in the church. In other words, no one should have to wait until a weekend service to receive ministry from a vocational minister. The smartest pastors I know invest a great deal of time training volunteers to assist with the church's pastoral care. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we're equipping saints to do the work of ministry. So how does that look? Friday morning comes around. It just so happens to be the pastor's day off. And Bertha, do y'all know Bertha? She's here. So Bertha uh, has surgery at 6 a.m. at the local hospital to have a toe bunion removed from her big toe. Can I just tell you, send her small group leader to pray for her and allow Pastor Allen to enjoy a day off with his family. That's how that works. And she'll be just as ministered to uh, by a, a small group uh, leader. Well, that's a silly example. Let me uh, talk about this second benefit before I pray for you. Here's the second benefit. Small groups are the place that you can build relationships that last a lifetime. Without question, my favorite small group ever is a group of older men. So let me qualify what I mean. These men are between 70 and 85. They gather every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. at a restaurant just minutes from my door. And I'm usually in there uh, having my quiet time. It's just Tuesday morning is an ideal day for me to get away. And I have that time preparing for uh, the, the next week. And I've seen this group of men. And when I was putting this message together, I went and talked to them. I said, I assume you guys are a small group. And they said, uh, yes, we are. And uh, I watch what they do. I said, week after week, I watch you guys. You have breakfast together. You share a devotional. You pray for one another. And then it's really cute. They just sit around for the next 45 minutes to an hour, and they make fun of one another. That's just what happens in that group. Now, this group of men, I said, does your group have a name? And they said, well, yes, we're the Romeo group. I thought, now, that's pretty interesting. I said, is that an acronym? They said, yes, retired old men eating out. I thought, now doesn't every church need a Romeo group? Well, I remember the first small group that Bethany and I visited after we joined the Gateway team. And so uh, we had been at uh, Gateway for about three months, and we experienced a little loneliness because we had been in our previous church for some time. So we went to a small group. And we uh, were introduced, and I was asked to take just a moment and kind of share our journey. And so I said, well, prior to coming to Gateway, we were on staff at a great church in Houston for about 15 years before we made our journey up this way. And uh, the, the small group leader, his name is Marcus. He's actually one of our pastors. He said, um, well, Ed, what do you miss most from your church in Houston? And my answer was immediate. I said, oh, that's easy. I miss the hugs that are a natural part of long-term relationships. So we finished our meeting that night, but as I was headed toward the door to uh, get in the car and head home, he stood between me and the door. And I remember Marcus. He is uh, a little bit like Pastor Russ. He's been in the gym some, uh, like EJ and some of those guys. And he looked at me and he did one of these. And as I walked toward him, he embraced me with the warmest, most friendship hug. And, and can I just tell you something? Some 14 years later, Marcus and I are best friends. 
He is the person with whom I share my darkest secrets. And he is the person who helps hold me accountable to the values and the commitments that I've made in leading my family and in living cleanly and purely for the Lord. Do you have a Marcus in your life? Well, um, let me uh, uh, move uh, to close by, by, by offering you a warning. Uh, and, and let me just do this before we get there. It could be that as you hear the story of my relationship with Marcus, uh, you would say, wow, I find myself lonely. Well, uh, many people today struggle with loneliness. Please don't be embarrassed by that. According to Psalm 68, verse 6, God places the lonely in families. And so if you need a family, it could be that a small group within this church would provide exactly what you're looking for. I found that people can be lonely whether they're married or single, whether they're young or old. Oh, church, I encourage you to participate in a small group here. And here's why. A warning before I pray. If you choose not to participate in a small group, in essence, you're cutting yourself off from the primary means of pastoral care in this church. And in doing so, um, you're fine until there's a problem. When you have an emergency or a crisis in your life, you'll discover, I don't have anyone to call on because all I've done is gone to the weekend gathering. And so if you will choose to be part of a small group, you'll find that there are many friends to minister to you and care for you and encourage you in your most challenging times. That's good news. Well, uh, if uh, God has called you to be part of this church, I want to encourage you to take these four steps. And with these four steps, I'm going to pray and turn the service back to Pastor Allen. First, regularly attend a weekend service. So we're not excluding that. I'm telling you that's a very important thing. You have two options, the 930 and the 11. And as you continue to grow, I believe God will add more services. But choose to be part of the family at large. Hebrews 10, 25 instructs us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Now listen, it says, as some are in the habit of doing. So you know what this tells me? Skipping church is not a new phenomenon. It is something that is referenced right here in the word of God. So step one, regularly attend a weekend service. The second step, volunteer to serve in an area of ministry here at New Life. Don't be a spectator. Roll up your sleeves and, and, and participate in the ministry here. Find your place and do your part. As a member of the family, there are chores to do. And so 1 Peter 4.10 uh, tells us that all of us have unique gifts and abilities. And your church needs you to use those gifts to serve and to help other people come into relationship with Christ. Here's the third thing I would encourage you to do, and I certainly don't want to skip this. I want to emphasize this. I want to encourage you as a member of the family here, as a part of the church, to faithfully return your tithes. The first 10% of everything that God entrusts to you, faithfully return your tithes, and over and above that, give your offerings. 
By doing so, church, you're helping fund ministry to reach more people for Christ, and you're positioning yourself, according to Malachi 3, for great blessing on your life. When you obey God and you steward well what he's entrusted to you, blessing comes your way. And then finally, in response to what I've shared today, I want to ask you, and I almost said beg, but I'll just say I really want to appeal to you, join one of your church's small groups where you will be known and loved. Now I want to ask you, stand with me, and here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I've made a, a very narrow appeal today. I have emphasized the importance of the small group ministry as to the uh, growth and health that God wants to bring to your church. But you may say, Ed, I really appreciate that, but I've got some other challenges. If you need prayer in your life for anything today, I want to pray for you. You see, you may have a need in your marriage. Listen, God wants to help marriages today. It could be that there's a struggle within your family. We want to pray for that. There may be an issue at work. There may be a, a health scare or a negative uh, report from a doctor. There could be a challenge in your finances. If you have a need today, I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray. Pastor Allen will return and we'll close the service. Thank you for being here. And let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name. We ask you to minister to the people who are here today. Thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful church family, for uh, how you've led the church, Lord, and you're ministering to so many. But, Lord, today there are specific needs in people's lives, and we pray for those. Lord, for those who have had a, a health scare, Lord, those that have need, I pray in the name of Jesus for you to minister to those physical needs in their bodies, Lord, for those with financial challenges. I ask you right now, God, uh, to, to, to make up the difference in what they need and what they currently have, Lord. You're the provider of all. Lord, I pray for marriages that are strained, where there's, there's uh, challenges. And Lord, I just pray for harmony to be brought into marriages. Lord, for husbands and wives that are frustrated and upset at one another. Lord, I pray for forgiveness to take place and for reconciliation uh, to be uh, experienced even today. I pray for families, Lord, that are fractured where parents are struggling with their children and children don't understand their parents, Lord, where there are issues beyond what uh, people feel like they can bear. Lord, I pray for harmony and help to come to the families here in this church. For those, Lord, that are uh, challenged at work, those needing a promotion, those, Lord, needing breakthrough and favor with a boss, I pray in the name of Jesus you would present that today. Now, God, we ask too. That in response to the message today, that, Lord, people would choose to be part of a, of a small group. And I pray it in Jesus' name.